good afternoon. I hope you're doing well today. Welcome to this live video. It's part of a series of conversations I'd like to have with those of you who run agencies in the behavioral health sphere. My name's Michael Gordon. I'm a PhD clinical psychologist and a veteran clinic administrator. Uh, uh, and and uh, I have a lot of experience in running systems and thinking about them. I've given a lot of lectures and such on clinic management. But like many of you, I didn't have a whole lot of training in graduate school about how to manage a clinic and handle everything from HR to creating workflows to billing to supervision to marketing, you name it. I just had to figure it out all without much formal education on these matters at all. And I'm sure it's, like, it's been like that for most of you. Now, given my background and personality, the one thing I knew for sure was that I didn't want to make my administrative decisions based on the latest fad or what felt right or what one of my staff thought was the only way to go at the moment. I wanted those decisions to be based to the extent possible on good data, not on hunches. Put another way, I wanted to fly by the seat of my data not by the seat of my pants. Now, you should also know that I'm fundamentally lazy or maybe more charitably, pathologically practical because I really have an aversion to wasting time on tasks that are done by others or not at all, like making the bed. What's that about? Or I don't like doing things that could be done better and more accurately by computers. Actually, my entry into the clinical world coincided with the advent of the mini-computer in the late 70s. It didn't take me long to figure out that my Radio Shack TSR-80 could save me all kinds of time. For example, I had no patience for tallying up all the scores and ratios that were involved in using the Rorschach inkblot test. And so I wrote a program that did that all for me. Of course, it did so a whole lot more accurately and reliably than I ever could. So I've been into analytics and workflows and data-driven management before all those things were cool. Actually, it's been fun to see how much those concepts have taken hold all these years later. Now, today's uh, topic is a good example of how data gathering can be effective. Uh, perhaps in a way that might not be terribly obvious to you. So I'll talk for a bit and see if we can get a conversation going. I see some of you are already on. Uh, so just type any questions or comments you might have, and I'll respond to them after I talk for a bit. And for those of you writing those comments who are my colleagues and friends, you might want to remember that whatever you type will be seen by the rest of uh, the folks uh, watching this. Um, Facebook must have some policy about not harassing presenters too much. Now, if you manage a behavioral health agency, your top goal is to assemble and retain a competent and productive crew of clinicians. Without solid and loyal providers, nothing works well or for long. Forget quality care, forget generating sufficient revenue, forget building a presence in your community. All of that comes down to the quality of of the providers you hire, who you can attract and keep. 
And my grandmother ran a dry cleaning store in Amherst, Massachusetts. And she always said, Michael, remember, it all comes down to getting good help and holding on to them. If you own a business, you work for the help. But we all know how hard it is to find good people and keep them for the long haul. The supply of clinicians is low, the demands for their services is high, and the job is hard and often frustrating. If you take someone for granted, one of your staff, even briefly, they can be out the door before you know it, leaving you with a caseload to cover and another search to conduct. The turnover rate in the mental health world is a major problem for agencies, almost all agencies. Most are understaffed to begin with so that they're not a whole, there's not a whole lot of cushioning if someone departs. Turnover is especially problematic in our field because we serve a patient population that expects and usually requires a provider who knows them and is committed to their care over time. If your cardiologist leaves, well, it's not really a big deal for someone to take over the case, read over the last few notes, and manage your care. It's not that way, of course, for behavioral health treatments. So much more of the treatments about relationship, and most importantly, the trust between the provider and patient that has, in many cases, built up slowly, maybe painfully, over many years. Now, much has been written about how to retain staff in behavioral health agencies. The suggestions experts make are many, varied, some are pretty obvious. Staff tend to stay at jobs where the pay is good and the benefits are ample, especially when it comes to vacation times and policies about taking mental health days. Of course, many of us supervisors and managers don't have a great deal of control over salaries and personnel policies and benefits. We can advocate for our clinicians, look for ways to augment their income, but we often don't have a whole lot to offer them ourselves. But we can make a difference, and that's in ma managing the quality of work life for our staff. Much of what we can do falls in the category of addressing and limiting staff burnout, fatigue, and exhaustion. Clinicians who feel overwhelmed by their caseloads are clinicians who are likely to be less effective in treating their clients. They'll also be less loyal to the organization, less likely to collaborate with others around the patient's care, and be even at greater risk for having health and mental health problems of their own. Unless we keep an eye on how our clinicians are functioning and then respond effectively when we detect vulnerabilities, we can find ourselves on the receiving end of a letter that starts, Dear Dr. Gordon, I'm writing to indicate that I will be terminating my employment in two weeks. I hate those letters. So how can we manage how our staff are doing? Well, of course we can and should ask them on a very regular basis how they're our staff should know that we're focused on keeping them productive and reasonably content. That alone can help the cause. So can providing regular opportunities to let staff, let staff know what's on their mind, positive or negative. For a lot of us, just having a chance to vent can be beneficial. Sadly, my experience is that mental health professionals, while well-versed in how to get patients to communicate their issues, are, as a group, pretty awful in communicating their own concerns 
or just coming out with suggestions they might have for how things could be better, how we could improve things. Probably like most of you, I find it especially hard to get these highly educated and caring professionals to go much beyond voicing general dissatisfaction getting them to offer up specific ideas for how to make better, a clinic life better seems almost impossible sometimes. However, I have found that I can get an inkling of where things stand with one of my staff by just sidling up to my computer monitor, logging into our EHR, and generating a few reports. For me, the best place to start, and when I have my system just automatically uh, uh, notify me about is a report that shows the number of missed appointments by patients and by staff. Specifically, I can see how uh, often patients fail to show up for a session, either without calling or calling at the last minute to cancel. I can also see how often clinicians miss scheduled appointments. My experience is that these no-show reports provide a window into how both professionals and patients are faring. I think it's just a, a bellwether, the canary in the cage, or whatever uh, idea comes to mind in terms of those things that show how we're doing. On the patient side, a high no-show rate is a sure sign that all is not well with the case. Patients who are well engaged and progressing in therapy tend to come to appointments faithfully. I kind of hope that's one of the reasons they're doing well, because they show up and they get their treatment. Those who miss more appointments than they make have something getting in the way of their engagement. It could be a sign that they need a higher level of care or that they aren't feeling like their therapist is a good fit for them and any number of other factors, many of which relate to the patient-therapist connection or lack thereof. Regardless, devoted clinicians know they can't treat an empty chair and feel frustrated when the appointment start, uh, start time comes and goes. Some other clinicians are all too happy when patients fail to show because that means they have more time to work on their notes or they really don't want to deal with what might be a very difficult case. It's also not a good sign when clinicians have to cancel appointments. It, if it's for health reasons, that might be an indication that the stress of the job is having untoward health effects. I have been involved in some situations where the clinician's canceling reflects their discomfort with a certain patient or a certain family. So to me, these no-show reports are just supervisory gold. The next report I look at when I want to see how my staff are doing is one that shows each clinician's caseload and the number of kept appointments they've seen over a day range. Too high or too low can mean something might be going on with that clinician. I've had some staff who, for whatever reason, overload themselves unmercifully with cases and start to show signs of burning out because they're just working too hard and they have too many people to, to manage. Of course, some aren't seeing enough cases. That can mean all kinds of things too, but sometimes it relates to them being stressed or unhappy. Either way, uh, the numbers on this report can lead to some important discussions about what's going on, that people are missing uh, appointments, or if caseloads are too high or too low. Next comes the case acuity report. This is an idea we had long ago because people would say, well, I have fewer cases than therapists. Why? 
because, uh, but my cases are harder. So it's not fair just to compare caseloads. And this also had to do with uh, contract negotiations around setting thresholds for number of cases being seen, et cetera. Uh, so this acuity report we just make, came up with years ago in developing uh, Clinic Tracker, our EHR. And it's based on a number from one to five that we settled on uh, at the intake conference uh, when the intake was completed. It's somewhat subjective, but it generally was derived by looking at the seriousness of the diagnosis or diagnoses. Actually, the more diagnoses, as you know, the more severely impaired likely the, the client is. We looked at the patient's treatment history and in the case of child cases, whether mom had a history of depression. And that comes from research maybe I'll talk about at some point that we conducted on what predicted no-show appointments. Now, it never hurts to get a, a general sense of how many challenging cases a clinician has at any moment. You know how it is. One difficult case can wreak havoc on a clinician's joie de vivre. Keeping an eye on the nature of the clinician's caseload gives you an excellent opportunity to review efforts around the challenging case, and if nothing else, let the clinician know uh, what might be going on or that at least you know that they're feeling kind of frustrated and that you have some understanding of why that might be. Now, for now, there's a lot of reports and there's a lot to this, but I don't want to have uh, this session go on for too, too long and, and, um, and uh, getting in the way of you being able to ask questions and interact. Uh, but I did want to talk about the report um, that uh, lists out all the staff members' paperwork status. In other words, the extent to which they're caught up or not with the required documentation for progress notes and treatment plans and you name it. So yeah, I can press a button, I can see exactly where all the uh, staff are in terms of getting their paperwork done, who has overdue stuff, who's uh, caught up, who's uh, tragically behind, etc. cetera. Uh, the listing doesn't tell me why they're behind or necessarily what to do about that they're behind, but it does tell me something's up. Perhaps they're too busy or they're too tired or too something. Maybe they were writing notes and reports that were far too long and detailed and we needed to work to get them down so that they would be quicker and easier to do. Uh, maybe the um, clinic tracker as we were developing it uh, had a, a piece of the workflow that was too complicated or we needed to do something to make it easier for them to get the paperwork done and, and uh, know what's due, etc. So it ultimately helps staff to figure out what's happening to, to catch up with their paperwork and, and get the whole thing more manageable to get uh, done. Um, usually, though, that frankly does take some time. Staff usually react first to the higher level of accountability uh, that having an EHR and a practice management system brings to the circumstance. Uh, but once they get past the fact that you know where they are and deal with that, uh, of course, in part, that's a motivation perhaps for them to get the paperwork done, but also lets them know that that's a topic uh, to be discussed in supervision and clinic meetings. So I have much more to say about how being able to monitor clinician activity can 
improve relationships and reduce burnout. Uh, and um, I will perhaps do that in future sessions. But I think maybe after uh, I've gone on for a bit now, I'll take some questions from you if you've got any. Anybody have any questions about using an EHR to, um, uh, to be able to reduce burnout and, and, uh, and uh, support staff retention? Well, I do have one here. I have one uh, that asks uh, why we I got involved in building an EHR to begin with uh, and how that EHR, which most of you must realize, given that this is on the Clinic Tracker page, uh, uh, that uh, how it came to be that we uh, brought it uh, so that everybody could use it. And I can go on a little bit about this, although we might want to reserve some more later on. But it really has to do with what I mentioned um, at the beginning, which is that uh, I, uh, I was charged with running these services in an academic medical center. I had all this stuff to take care of and to see, and I couldn't get at any information uh, that I really felt I needed to make decisions. Uh, and to make things go more smoothly. So uh, I needed something. We had contracts with the county to provide services. We had um, all sorts of um, uh, documentation that we had to keep up with, else the Office of Mental Health for the state of New York would be by. There were a lot of reasons why we needed to, to track what was going on. And we didn't have anything. We couldn't find anything then. Uh, so uh, I uh, began to design a system. And uh, with some help, uh, obviously, on the computer side of things, uh, developed Clinic Tracker. And then it became pretty clear that uh, when I was talking to my colleagues who also ran services, that nobody else had something like this uh, that um, was so much geared towards uh, allowing me to manage my clinic in an efficient way and my staff to do their work in an efficient way. So that's that, how that came to be. All right, that was our first question. Any other questions people have? I'll give this just a second. Well, while you might be typing out uh, another question, uh, let me just say that um, I'm going to next time in a week or so, uh, make the case that you can improve morale and retention by having an EHR that really is designed to save a clinician's time and to make their lives uh, easier and to, to help them uh, work through the workflows, to protect them from screwing up one way or another. I really have always had the notion that the real uh, benefit of a good uh, EHR and practice management system uh, was that it kept us all from messing up um, more than we actually needed to, that it told us what was due, what we needed, uh, how many sessions were left uh, in uh, the authorizations, all those things that are very easy to overlook when you're a busy clinician. And so I had the concept that the better you make your EHR and the more it holds people's hands as they go through their workday and their workflows, the better everybody is going to be. And uh, so I'm going to talk about that next time, the kinds of things an EHR can have that take the EHR from being what it oftentimes is, is just this object of upset and 
something people can detest to something that actually they see as a benefit to them, something that actually helps them. So I don't see any more questions. Uh, So for now, thanks for listening. I hope the rest of you have a a good, uh, that all of you have a good rest of day. And I just hope that you do remember that it's always good to fly by the seat of your data and not by the seat of your pants. Thanks.